I told, um, I told Chris, he did a great job. Amen? Didn't he do great? That was amazing. That was amazing. Praise Jesus. And I, I, t- I said at 8.30, I have never seen so much moving and jiving at an 8.30 service in my life. It was awesome. It was awesome. I think, uh, I think, I think the hymns were appreciated. Amen? I think so. That was good. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Well, it's good to see all of you guys here. My name's Josh. I'm the preaching pastor. Welcome to Living Waters Fellowship. This is your first Sunday with us. We're very thankful that you are here. God bless you. May this be an encouragement to you guys this morning to be in God's Word, to hear about Jesus, and if you already know Christ, to build you up in your faith. And if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17 together. And we're going to be doing another gospel message. We started our gospel series last week, and we're continuing that this week. We were in 1 Corinthians 15 last week. We're in Romans 1 this morning. So before we read that together, I want to take a little side trail, if I may, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. I think we're going to put it up on the screen. This is for 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is explaining and commending his ministry as an apostle to the Corinthian church. He's defending his apostleship. And as he does that, he is presenting the obvious contrasts that are often present in an apostle's life. And you could make an application that this is true of all Christians who are serving God with their lives. There are contrasts in our lives as we follow Christ and preach Christ and share Christ. There's just a lot of things that God brings our way when we do that. Not all of that is pleasant. And Paul says we are unknown and yet well-known. See the difference? We are dying, and behold, we live. We are as punished, yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making all rich, and as having nothing, yet possessing everything. You see that phrase in verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's the phrase that has stuck out to me in the last 48 hours. And for so, some of you who know what's been happening with us personally, you know this will be review. But for many of you who do not know, I just want to let you know what's going on. So on Friday morning, we got a phone call that my father-in-law, Bill, had a heart attack. And... He was being lifelighted from his farm in southwest Iowa to Methodist Hospital. So after a brief fight in the hospital, this would be his second heart attack in three years. And being in the hospital for about 14 hours or so, Bill passed away at 1.45 a.m. yesterday morning. Yesterday was also my 40th birthday, so, right, you can imagine the conflicting day that we experienced as a family, where 
In one note, we're really rejoicing with God's grace. Thankful to be a 40-year-old, no longer a young pastor. Amen? But on another note, there's real tremendous sorrow. Tears and grief and long family meetings. Just even yesterday, after today, you know, we're going straight to the funeral home to work out three or four hours of details. And you guys just understand we're in the middle of an emotional process, right? And in that process, you can pray for my wife. This is her dad. And Danielle's been absolutely amazing through the early stages of this. But there's been real moments of struggle and tears and grief, and you can all understand that. The funeral's Wednesday morning, and Danielle and I talked last night, and, and, and we both agreed that we, we wanted to be here this morning. She was at 8.30 service, and she wanted me to preach, and I wanted to preach this morning to you. And the reason we want that to be true is because Danielle and I believe with all of our hearts, I mean everything that is within us, we believe that this is a moment where we get to point people to the glory of God. And we can point all of you all to Jesus. And here's what I mean. Danielle and I, with all humility... We want to be an example to you as a church. That our foundation is firm. And our belief in Jesus is real. And it's so real to us that our stability in life, our joy in life, our love, our obedience is not dictated by our circumstances. Our joy is dictated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we are sorrowing. There are real tears. There are real emotional processes that we are going through. But we want you to know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And like last week, this is not a fairy tale. We are sorrowful, but Jesus is not just resurrected on the sunny days. Jesus is the resurrected King of Kings when the days are full of clouds and tears and sorrows. So we are sorrowful this morning, but we are always rejoicing. So, we're gripping onto the promises of God. We thank you for your prayers. We thank you for the support that we've already felt. We love our church. We love you guys so much. And by God's grace, we're going to continue to believe the power of the gospel in our own lives. Now, speaking of the gospel, we need to get to Romans 1. So let's read what Paul has for us this morning and what God has for us this morning. And let's start in verse 1. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called by God to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those who are in Rome, loved by God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you who, because of your faith, it is being proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift and strengthen you. That is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap a harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. For I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Praise God for the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray. Father, you're such a good God to us. Lord, thank you for the reading of scripture. It's so good for our hearts. Lord, I pray that this might be a launching moment for many in this church to love the gospel more deeply, to push the gospel out and disperse it more freely, and to feel the weight of the resurrected Jesus more intimately in our hearts. Lord, our prayers are many this morning. There's many struggles, there's many circumstances in everybody's life here that are heavy, that people wish weren't there. And, oh God, we pray for your grace to meet every need through Jesus. Lord, we live in a very sin-cursed world. We're very frustrated. We're very sad about what we're seeing all across the globe. Lord, we think of Afghanistan. We think of the tragedies of this last week. Our hearts are heavy, God. For the 12 warriors who gave their lives. God, may you have mercy on those families. May your grace pour out upon those families. May Jesus, you be the hope and the resurrection and the power to save in their lives. God, we see a lot of other things in this world that we don't like. There are worries out there, there are trials, and then there's our own messes of our own souls and our hearts and god we're just pleading that the gospel message would be our joy and our hope and father that we might throw our hearts to you this morning and that you might meet every need god do some miracles through jesus we pray amen so the book of romans romans chapter one the book of romans has rightly been called the greatest New Testament letter ever written. 
And you could expand that out a little bit and you could say Romans might be the most amazing and wonderful letter written in the entire Bible. The beauty and the depth of Romans is unparalleled. There is no parallel within the Bible that unpacks the beauty of the gospel deeper and better than the letter of Romans. If you're looking for a book to read in your devotions, I humbly submit Romans to you. For even this week, if you're looking for a place to read, read Romans. Your life will never be the same. The explanation of the gospel that Paul gives in Romans is the standard of biblical excellence. There is no higher excellence in the scriptures than Romans. But Romans brings a question, and I think Romans 1 brings a certain question that needs to be answered this morning, and that question is this. What is the gospel, and what does it have power to do in my life, right? That's what Paul is seeking to answer. What is the gospel? What is it? I need to know what it is. Just like last week in 1 Corinthians 15, what is it? And what kind of power does it have in my life? What is the power that the gospel has to move me into a direction? Well, the answer to those questions are really significant. If you answer the question of what the gospel is and what its power is, your life will be radically changed. Right? Guaranteed, take it to the bank. If you believe the gospel for real, it has the power of God to change your life. Now, the gospel not only saves us, but the gospel drives us. Okay? The gospel not only saves you from hell and gets you into heaven, but it drives your life. It gives you hope in this life. It gives you vision for your future. It gives you ideas about what God might be doing in your heart and stirring you up. I remember this happened to me many years ago when I first got saved. I went to Grandview University. I was playing basketball. I was going to be sports radio major, all that stuff. And then God was stirring in me, not just to save me through Christ, but on a bus coming back from Sioux City, Iowa, of all places, God, through the Spirit, worked through His Word, and the gospel not only saved me, it drove me. Where Jesus said, Josh, you're going you're to give your life to me, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be awful at times, but it's going to be amazing. And I said, okay. All right. In that bus ride home, as all, my, as all my teammates are getting smashed in the back with hard liquor, I'm on the second row of this bus reading my Bible because I'm not partying anymore, right? I'm out. And I'm like, that was the moment that God called me. So the gospel doesn't just save you, it drives you. It drives your life. And for some of you, you need to be driven to places. The gospel is not just for you to sit on. The gospel is meant to drive you to great things. So here's the, here's the point of the passage this morning. Uh, Paul wants the Roman church to know what the gospel is and how it's powerfully driving his desires and his thoughts. Okay, So Paul's like, I want to tell you about this gospel. I want to tell you about how it's driving me, how it's driving my desires, how it's driving my thoughts. Because if you met the Apostle Paul, you would understand this guy is a really unique cat. right? He is a unique guy. Very driven, very driven towards certain things that that are kind of out of step sometimes with the world. And so that's what Paul wants this morning. So we're going to look at three realities of what the gospel is. 
and how it should drive our lives. Reality number one is that the gospel is Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. Verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set set apart for the gospel of God, concerning the promise, verse 2, that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now look at verse 3. Concerning his son. The gospel is all about the son of God. And then in verse 4, Paul is going to say, he was declared to be the son of God. And at the end of verse 4, he says, the spirit of holiness set Christ apart through the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in 5, 6, and 7, you're going to see the word Jesus three more times. Okay, so Paul is saying something very significant at the very beginning of Romans 1. He is saying that the gospel is Jesus, and Jesus is the gospel. Okay, now, just can we take a little side trail here? Let's take a little side trail and look at verse 1. Paul said that he was set apart for the gospel of God. He was set apart. Now, this is surprising, right? Because we all know Paul's story. (laughs) Read Acts 6 through 9. This guy was not off to a great start. Not any of us would look at the Apostle Paul in Acts 6 through 9 and say, yeah, I think he's going to be the greatest Christian to ever walk on the face of the earth. None of us would have said, I think he's going to be the Apostle who's going to write a third of the New Testament. Zero people in this house would have predicted that for the Apostle Paul. If you don't believe me, Read Acts 6 through 9. But Paul said he was set apart for the gospel. The word set apart there means to be uh, fenced off. All right, so if you're thinking about agriculture terms in Iowa, we always think about agriculture terms, right? You should think about fences and and cows getting pushed into certain fields because that's what Paul was saying. I'm a cow, spiritually speaking, And I got pushed into this field by God, right? And I was separated out. There's Paul, the Apostle Paul cow over here. And then there's all the other cows over here. Now, this illustration is for my father-in-law, Bill. This is in dedication of Bill. Bill was a farmer, farmer for 40 years plus. And when you're dating a farmer's daughter, right, you'll do anything to impress. Can I get a witness? Now, let me tell you, it is hard to win Not the affection of the farmer's daughter. It is hard to win the affection of the farmer. First time I ever met Bill, watching a movie, comes up, slaps my leg harder than I've ever been slapped in the history of the world, right? (laughs) Time to go choring. It's 10.30 at night. I look at my wife and I'm like, is he for real? Like, is he, do I need to go change? And she's like, ugh. I'm so embarrassed by my dad. And I'm like, I thought it was kind of cool. Like, you know, like, let you know that he's there kind of thing. So we, at Thanksgiving one year, we had to move cows. I didn't grow up moving cows, right? So we're eating Thanksgiving. What typically happens after Thanksgiving in my upbringing is we watch the Lions lose the football game. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Typically, that's what we do. Bill said, hey, uh, we have to move these cows from this field to this field, so that's what we're doing after Thanksgiving. And I'm like, what in the world kind of family is this? This is a farm family. Can I get an amen? That's what they do. So we're out, and I've never moved cows before, but I know they weigh a lot, 
and you don't want to get in their way. And so all of a sudden, we're going down gravel roads, we're moving cows in, and we're, we're saying weird phrases that I've never heard in my life. Hip, 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 hey! And I'm like, is this a carnival or is this a farm? What is this? And so we're getting in the cows saying hip, hip, hooray, and we're getting them into the right field. But some, some, some cows go to this field, some cows go to this field. So this is the idea of, of Paul saying I was set apart. I was, I was boundaried off. I was fenced off into this field by God. And here's what, here's what I'm saying to you guys this morning. This brings in 1 Timothy chapter 1 where, where Paul says, look, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm the foremost. I'm the worst sinner in the world. Why did Jesus pick me? Verse 16, I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example. This is powerful. Paul's saying, I got set apart in this field so that everybody who hears me preach will say, well, if God can save that guy, he can save me too. If Jesus can show mercy to him, he can say, show mercy to me too. And in the midst of that, church, I would just give you an um, encouragement. Don't judge people too soon, right? There's some people right now you have set apart. They're never getting saved. They're always going to be hard-hearted. They're never going to become Christians. They, they persecute me. They make fun of me for my faith, all these things. Don't judge people too early, amen? Amen. You never know. There might be an Apostle Paul in your contact list that God uses you to share the gospel. They get saved, and all of a sudden, things are happening. Praise God. Now, the content of the gospel is concerning his son. The gospel is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. So, humanly speaking, in verse 3, Paul says that Jesus was descended from David, according to the flesh. So, according to the flesh, David was the line by which Jesus came. So, the human line that Jesus came from was the right line. It was the kingdom line. It was David's line, which means, humanly speaking... All right, Jesus was fully human and fully part of the right line to be the Savior of the world. But divinely, verse 4, he was declared to be the Son of God in power all right, by the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus' resurrection from the dead was proof that he wasn't just a man coming from David's line. He was actually God in the flesh. This is the great mystery of the gospel, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Does anybody understand that fully? No. <laughs> no. It is a mystery that Jesus can be fully God and fully man at the same time, but that's what he had to be in order to be the gospel for us. You might say, well, how do I understand that? I mean, how am I supposed to understand that? Here is a resource that I would recommend and we would recommend as a church. If you can get your hands on this book called Stranger on the Road to Emmaus, it will help you understand how Jesus is in Genesis, how Jesus is in the early stages of the Bible, how Jesus is in the prophets, how Jesus is throughout the Old Testament, the Son of God. And you're going to see it and it's all going to make sense. Like, oh, this is like, Old Testament with pictures. Praise God, right? And it's going to help you understand how Jesus is connected from beginning to end. Now, we are giving away copies of this book. 
I don't know how many we have left. I think I, I budgeted two copies at 8.30, two copies at 10. But if it's in your heart to discover this and how Christ makes sense and how all the puzzle pieces come together in Jesus, it's your book for free. Just find it in the, in the uh, entryway. Aren't you glad we have an entryway now that we can refer to it? Praise God, that's amazing. But you get that free book. You can go get that free book. If you have to throw a Christian elbow to get that book, we will bless you in the Lord. You throw that elbow because you need that book. So when you're sharing the gospel, Jesus is the gospel. Please understand this. If your gospel presentation is not including Jesus, it's not the gospel. Okay? This is just a little evangelism instruction. If your gospel does not include Jesus resurrecting from the dead, it's not the gospel. Okay, now listen. We as Americans, we like the soft gospel, don't we? We like the soft gospel. You know, God is love. Amen. Hey, neighbor, is God love? Yeah, God loves you. God loves everybody. God loves me. God loves, you know. We have the, we have the love gospel. If you don't talk about Jesus and all you talk about is the love gospel and God is love, you are not sharing the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, right? The gospel is we're so messed up as sinners, God sent Christ to come straighten things out. If you say the gospel is kindness, um, just kindness. Have you guys seen the kindness gospel on your social media stuff? Kindness. If you can be anything in this world, right? Be kind, be kind. I was riding with a a lady on the uh, airplane to Pennsylvania, and she was coming back from Italy, ironically, and she said, all right, hey, where are you from? You know, yeah, I'm from Pennsylvania. Great. And I, so I started asking all these questions. And, I, and we got to religious stuff because that's what I do and that's what I love to do. And I said, hey, do you believe in God? She's like, no, I don't believe in God. I believe in kindness. Okay, then, right? And I said, if you were wrong, and if you were wrong and you believe in kindness, would you want to know? Like, would you want to know the real answer to that question? And she said, that's a good question. No, I, I, just, I just believe in kindness. I wouldn't want to know, actually. That is a great definition of the American gospel. That we don't include Jesus. We don't want Jesus. We want kindness. You believe in kindness, that's fine. You're going to live a, probably a pretty good life. You'll go to hell. And I shared Christ with her, and she was like, yeah, it's not for me. You guys, when you're sharing the gospel, the gospel is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. Second reality. The gospel is our joyful debt. Verses 8 through 15. The gospel is our joyful debt. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Skip down to verse 10. I'm hoping by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Verse 11, I long to see you. Right? And then verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. So you can feel Paul's passion in verse 10 and 11. He wants to get to Rome. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Italy? Can I get to amen? I mean, who doesn't want to go there? He hasn't been there yet. He's hoping to go. But why does Paul want to get to Rome? Why does he want to get to Rome? What's driving him there? Does he want to do some sightseeing? Is he an American who just wants to see the Colosseum? Right? You want to see this amazing piece of architecture? I just really want to get to Rome because, honestly, I'm looking for the Colosseum selfie. 
Is that what Paul's doing? No. Yeah, what do Americans do? We, we take that trip to take the selfie, don't we? That's what we do. Paul wanted to get to Rome because he wanted to preach the gospel to the Roman church. Paul was so driven by Jesus forgiving his sins, giving him eternal life. He was like, I got to get to Rome. Why do you want to get to Rome, Paul? So I can preach the gospel to the church. So that I can have some sort of connection with this church. So we can disperse the gospel. And we know from other passages of scripture that Paul's ultimate goal was to get to Spain. He wanted to get to España so he could share the gospel. Don't ask me how many languages Paul had to learn to do all this stuff. But Paul was so driven by the gospel, that's all he could think about because Jesus had forgiven him of his sins. He had one obligation, one debt that he owed Jesus. And that was to get the gospel to every single person he could. Greeks, barbarians, wise and foolish, right? Now the Greeks were civilized, right? What kind of mustard did the Greeks use? Grey poupon, of course, right? The barbarians, they're the crazy, uncivilized Germans. Can I get an amen? Ah, you Germans, y'all crazy. I am one, so I can say that. Right? There's wise people. Paul's like, I owe the gospel to wise people. Smart people. The people who are educated, I owe them the gospel. And the foolish, uneducated people, all right? Like people, like Hillbilly Tom or something. We owe him the gospel. We've got to give him the gospel. Right? Now, he's under obligation, which means he's under debt. So this means that Paul is laying down a principle for the Roman church that they need to follow, where Paul says, look, I've been saved, I owe everybody the gospel, and Roman church, so do you. So it is today in Christianity. Christians have a debt. Did you know that this morning? You have a spiritual debt that you owe if you know Christ. If you know Jesus, you're in debt this morning to Him. And the debt you owe is to share the gospel with who? Everybody you see. Now, wait a minute. Let's look at this. Civilized and uncivilized. In Iowa, we can make an argument. There's a good number of both. Amen? I was just at the state fair last Sunday. I can, I can testify. Civilized and uncivilized people need Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. Small towns, there's 10 million small towns in the state of Iowa. They need the gospel. Urban settings like our own need the gospel. Just got to walk around the blocks for a little bit to know that there's lostness all over the place. There's 150 Hindus that live right over here. They came from Nepal to Seattle, Seattle to Des Moines, all word of mouth because it's cheap living here. How are we going to do Hindu evangelism? I don't know. We've got to figure it out. We owe them the gospel. Every ethnicity, every skin color, if you're a Christian, you owe every skin color the gospel. Every people group, rich, poor, you owe them the gospel. Educated or uneducated, we owe them the gospel because the gospel has to go out to everybody. And you know what? We obey Jesus. So we don't get to dictate to our king who we share with and who we don't share with. Can I get an amen? Come on now. We don't get to say, 
oh yeah, God, I'll share Christ with that person because they're like me and it's easy. No, no, no. Christianity is where we say, God, whoever, whenever, wherever, however, because I owe that debt of gratitude to Jesus. So let's take, it, let's take you back. 2005, Louis and Amber O'Toole, missionaries, amazing people. They're up here on stage. Chad and Allie DeClean, Danielle and myself, and a few other couples, we all huddled together in this Ankeny apartment. What were we doing in 2005 in an Ankeny apartment, huddled together? We were, re- we were praying and seeking God regarding where in the world he wanted us to go to share Jesus with people. God led Louis and Amber to South Africa. Praise God. God led Danielle and I to South Des Moines. Praise Jesus. Yeah, I'd say that. Hey, we both got the South part right. Amen. Which leads the deciding vote to Chad and Natalie, and they joined us. So you tell me who's right. You tell me who found God's will, right? I joke, I jest. Here's a picture of what Louis is doing. He's training South African pastors. He's teaching at Macanio Seminary to give men of God and women of God theological education to go preach and share Jesus and do ministry all over a place that needs it so desperately. Selfishly, I wish Louie and I could hang out a lot more. But this is better. This is better. Here's another um, picture of our trip from 2019. This is our missions team. And the guy in the middle, his, um, his name's Junior. We owe, we owe Junior the gospel. We gave Junior the gospel. I don't know if he's truly saved or not, but he received it that week at camp. And Junior, the, the cool part about him was his nickname was Juice. And so, and you really did the long U when he came in the room. Juice! Juice! And he would give me the long O response. Josh! Josh! And we're still in connection. We owe Junior the gospel. We owe him the gospel. The next picture is Latabo. All right, this is Latabo. Big dude, right? Big guy. Lots of fun. We called him Notorious B.I.G. If you don't know, he's a 90s rapper, okay, if you don't know. Big dude, super fun. Latabo was very special. He heard the gospel. Latabo's dead now. We owe owe Latabo the gospel. He's in the presence of God, by God's grace in heaven with Jesus. We owe the gospel to all people. Christian, are you getting it? The reality of the gospel is a joyful debt. We owe. It's a joyful thing. It's eager. We want to do it because we owe Jesus. All right, reality number three about the gospel is this, getting right with God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16, for it is the power of God to salvation to everybody who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Right? For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So Paul's saying at the beginning, I'm not ashamed. Which means I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed by Jesus. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of my association with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to stiff arm Jesus. 
How many times have we distanced ourselves from Jesus when it's been hard or it's been, it's been difficult, when people are making fun of Christianity? How, how easy is it for us to be like, you know what, I'm just going to distance. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Me and Jesus are tight, and I will testify to his grace in any moment of my life. Jesus is mine, and I'm Jesus. So Paul knew the power of the gospel is the power of God. He knew that there was no other message that had the, the dunamis, dynamite power of God other than the gospel. So Paul was convinced that the gospel was the very power of God. This message came with a certain power. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was ro- risen again for the sins of the world if you will receive him. That message is very simple, but it has power to give eternal life to people. Paul knew it. He was dedicated to it. He wasn't ashamed of it. That message is the only message that has divine, supernatural power. Did you know Mark Zuckerberg does not have such power? Amen? He doesn't have it. Tesla does not have a message with divine power. Jeff Bezos does not have a message with divine power. Our president does not have a message with divine power. Our politicians do not have messages with divine power. There is only one message with divine power where the density of God's supernatural grace comes through, and it is the gospel. This is good news. Paul knew that. That's what got him through the jail cell nights. That's what got him through the stonings and the beatings and the rods. This is the power of God. So, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, let's just get to a quick point. And then, I know we're running out of time here, but 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25, this is a passage to read this week. The gospel is the power of God only for those who receive it. Right? You've got to receive it. It's only going to be powerful if you receive it. Right? So, so receiving Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25 lets us know that churched people think the gospel is foolishness. Like, unch- unchurched people who have no recollection of what religion is like that's foolish why would i believe in that i don't i don't get why i need that churched people think the gospel is a stumbling block what do you mean what do you mean i i have to believe this guy to go to heaven no i'm a good person you don't understand i go to church all the time i'm obedient i do the things i give money to the church i am going to get through because i'm better than somebody else what do you mean the gospel is a stumbling block so In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed when we stand before God and he says, why should I let you into heaven? What's your answer going to be? What is your answer going to be? That moment is coming. It just came from my father-in-law last night. So so what in the world are you going to say? Why should God let you? You need righteousness that's not your own. You need someone to cover you. Because to go into God's presence with your own righteousness is foolishness and God's holiness will absolutely burn you up and you will go to hell for eternity. You've got to have the right answer. So here's, here's where most American Christians are. <laughs> All right? This is the question. So 
We good now, right? A lot of, a lot of American sinners look like this. Like, God, we're good, right? <laughs> we're good. <laughs> Give the Michael Scott teeth, right? <laughs> we're good. Think about it. God, I do all these good things. All these good things count, right? <laughs> I'm better than most people that I know. I'm better than my neighbor. He's a jerk. I'm way better. I serve more people. I do more good things. Like, that's going to be, that's got to count for something, right, God? We're good. Hopefully, I try my best. God, you know I try my best. I, I do my best. In every situation, I do my best. This is like big risk. To risk your soul on the fact that you think your good works will get you to heaven. Your good works and you being a good person will not get you in. Just hear it clearly. Our righteousness, according to Isaiah 64, is like a polluted garment. You see it there? We have all become like one who's unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And you can look up polluted garment in your own personal study time and see how gross that reference is from the prophet Isaiah. It's nasty. All of our righteousness looks like that to God. So you got to have a righteousness that covers you when you stand before God. And the answer is Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to run through these here, Ken, for time's sake. Martin Luther says, Is it not wonderful news to believe that salvation lies outside of ourselves? Oh, man. Greatest news in the world. You're going to heaven not because you're great, but because you believe in somebody who really was great. His name was Jesus. And here's the final just illustration. Our righteousness looks like this. <laughs> this is kids after a food fight. You ever done that before? We did that one year for Marie for her birthday. Nastiest thing, nastiest event ever. I mean, the smells, just the smells alone. Like make you want to just vomit. I think I'm going to throw up right now, just thinking about that memory. But you should have seen all the girls. I mean, they were just covered with nasty all over the place. And that is what we look like in the presence of God on our own. So who's going to save us? Who's going to give us clean clothes? Who's going to make it happen? Who's going to give us this acceptance? Who's going to give us a white shirt? Look at this guy, right? He's looking spiffy, isn't he? Who's going to give us a righteousness where we walk in and we have the righteousness of God on our very person? Who's going to give it to us? Only Jesus. And you have to repent and believe. And if you do, that's what you will look like to God the Father. Christ covering your heart and mind. And the only boast any of us are going to have when we stand before God is, I don't belong here but I believed in that guy. And we'll look at Christ and we'll say, he's my only hope. So as we close up and we respond, it's time to respond. So this is your time. What we're going to do is close service and we're going to have the band come up and they're going to play for a while, but you get three minutes or so, somewhere in there, to just respond to God. You know what the gospel is and how it's driving you. And I would encourage some of you believers, write down, or, or do it on your phone or whatever, write down how the gospel's driving you. Because if you know Christ, it's an amazing thing. But how's the gospel driving your life this week? Write some stuff down. Get practical. 
Don't listen to a message and sing songs and don't do anything with practical application. Do application. Responding is worship. Just as much as any other part of this service, this is worship time. And if you don't know Jesus, this is your time to get saved. Just repent, believe, he'll save you. Right here, right now, Jesus will not hesitate to save anybody who calls out to him this morning. So whatever your applications are, we pray that by God's grace you could respond during this time. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have response time. And may God do a good work through his spirit in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this gospel message. Thank you for showing us through Paul what the, what the gospel is and God, how it drives us. So Lord, I don't know all the applications everybody needs to make. I'm sure that there's a lot of applications to be made. I'm sure there's some believers that need to confess some sin and get right with other people. I'm sure of that. I'm sure, God, that there are believers who have had dreams and visions of what you're doing through your word, and they, they, they can start to see a new flicker of excitement for what you're going to do through them in this next season, maybe even this next week. And God, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, oh Lord, would you save them now, right where they're at, and change their lives. Lord, help us to respond to you well. In Jesus' name, amen.